Hey there, this is Red Zone Redemption, a fantasy football podcast, part of the Roto Heat Network. Make sure you follow us on your preferred podcasting network. We should be on there. And this is your host, FF Shane B. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Thanks. Welcome to Red Zone Redemption. I am your host, and I am burping because of protein shakes and beef jerky sticks, so I apologize. <laughs> Joining me tonight, and you can hear him giggling at my stupid <laughs> stupid comments, is the truly one and only Herms, who you can find on Twitter at HermsNFL, and if I remember correctly, he is a content creator and writer for Sharks. Did I get that right? That is correct. You can find all of my content over there at DraftSharks.com, baby. What is up? Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. It's been a while since we've potted together, and I am happy that you are here. And we, not only that, not only is it fun to talk to you, but we have a lot of fun stuff lined up to talk about on the show that I am very excited about. Yes, we do. I thought, so I know a lot of people are probably doing post-NFL draft mocks, and, you know, I just said, I'm in so many rookie drafts that are already going on, why don't we just review the ones people have already done? And so that's what we're doing tonight. We're reviewing a few drafts, including one that Herms and I are in together. And then the second half of the show, we are going to focus on trades that people have sent in. So it's going to be a fun show. All right, Herms, are you ready? I've never been more prepared for anything in my entire life. (laughs) Cool. Okay, I don't know if you saw it on the show sheet, but every now and again in the offseason, I'm going to ask the question that I usually ask every episode in the in-season, and that is, what is one fantasy tip that can save your season? Do you have a tip prepared? And if not, I can go first. (laughs) Why don't you go go first so I can think on that one? (laughs) Here okay, I am, and like, so I've, I've never been this... more prepared for it. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, no. All right, so I will I'll stick t- kind of to the theme of the episode, and my one tip that will save your fantasy season is actively trade always. You can always make your team better. You can always go get a player that you like. You can always suck at a trade, but then you can go and fix it by making another trade. And so actively trade always. Stay active in your leagues. And one of the best ways that you can do that is by trading. Um, I can't tell you how many trades I've made in the last, let's say, 72 hours plus. Herms, it's kind of been scary. To make the moves, baby, you have to be aggressive. It's hard to win when you're playing passive. You know yep. what I mean? It's like, yep. you know, it, like, even if we just like put it into like NFL terms, you know, the, the prevent defense doesn't really prevent anything. I mean, it, it, it might save you from giving up an embarrassing bomb, but when you put yourself that far back on the defense, you know, it just, uh-huh. it just means those short little dump offs, short little dump offs, short little yep. dump offs. You're not protecting yourself from anything. You no. have to be on the offensive. No. Are you a soccer fan? I can't remember. I dabble. I okay. dabble. So it kind of reminds me of the the park the bus defensive theory where the, the team will just like they'll get a 1-0 lead and then they'll just sit back and let you come to them. And I'm like, I've tried doing that 
in FIFA and you're probably laughing at me like FIFA really Shane yeah I've tried doing it in FIFA and what ends up happening is you just get absolutely screwed because the team that is not in park the bus mode is just constantly attacking you want to be the one constantly attacking in your trade in fantasy football better myself that is a fantastic alright do you have one now that I've given you time to <laughs> yeah I mean at least as far as just keeping it you know, purely in off-season mode, because there are yeah. all sorts of really great things that you can think about, you know, when the actual point-scoring season is going on. But the whole NFL news cycle, there's just... Well, yeah. We get bored, okay? Like, you have to remember, not everything you hear is the most important thing in the world. And also, like, we do know certain GMs and head coaches are more reliable to listen to than others. Like, as excited as Pete Carroll is about every player that has ever played for the Seattle Seahawks during his tenure, they're not all going to be good for your fantasy team. It's just one example, but, you know, we're already seeing certain quotes coming out about these rookies being like, oh, we're really excited. You know, we got, we got them in a great pick value. Oh, he's going to be a contributor right from, you know, one of you. Know what I mean? That's true for some of these guys. Sure. I, you know, I would say, the, like, for example, like Dalton Kincaid, what the Bills GM, Brandon Bean, had to say about him makes a lot of sense. His whole point was that he's the type of player that doesn't do a lot of the traditional, you know, inline tight end stuff, you know, from, from the Y in the formation, and the, they can flex him out a little bit more than you would do with a different tight end. Given who he is as a player, that no makes sense. <laughs> so, like, you know, quotes like that, sure, you know, like, but when it, once we get into, like, OTAs, once we get into minicamps, everybody listening, please, dear, just keep Keep your little skepticism antennas in the air. Yeah, it's I like it's that. not it's not wrong to have tinfoil comes to the off season rumors. Okay, be skeptical. Don't believe literally everything that gets said because it's fun and you're bored. I put so I might post this depending on how motivated I'm feeling as an article on RotoHeat.com. And so for your tip, I'm putting your skepticism antennas up because I love the way that, that I love that imagery. So perfect. All right, let's jump into some draft reviews. First one up was sent to me by, I think his name on Twitter is KJ, the fantasy tech. You can follow him on Twitter at the FFB tech and his team name is hilarious. It's Bishop Sycamore. And what we have from KJ, the FFB tech, he took Anthony Richardson at 1.3, Kendra Miller at 2.4, Rasheed Rice at 2.7, Jaden Reed at 3.3, and Michael Wilson at 4.8. So, Herms, before we give kind of an overall grade, I may go pick by pick on this one. We don't have time to do that with some other ones. You know what I'm talking about. But Anthony Richardson, what's your evaluation of Richardson at this point? The dude's good. I, mean, I get that people are a little bit concerned about, you know, like, oh, he's a bit of a project. But I, I would kind of characterize it a little bit differently. I think he's just an inexperienced quarterback. Yeah. I mean, he just didn't get a lot of games in college. But you know, I play in one campus to Canton League. 
and yep. he is the guy that I took because I punted on quarterback really early. I waited super late, and I was just like, I'm hitching my wagon here. I'm going to ride or die with Richardson because at least the dude can, he can run. He can add some points with his legs that way, and he does at least have a rocket arm. And the best thing yeah. he has going for him is the well, not only just his perfect 10 out of 10 relative athletic score, but the fact that his new head coach, Shane Steichen, in his last stop as who, the who offensive coach, who did he coach at his last stop? Can you remind me? I some it was some day two guy that yeah. uh, what was the oh J- Jalen Hurts That's right yeah. yeah okay yeah so you know kind of worked with him a little bit and then also you know I feel like some people still weirdly kind of forget even before that before he got brought over to the Eagles staff he was the offensive coordinator during Justin Herbert's rookie year with the Chargers so like dude like it's. It's a great situation. Oh, and Herbert looked great. I did not know that that mm-hmm. little factoid. Um, Dude, that's very interesting. Exactly. And like Hertz and Herbert were both guys that came in had some question marks here and yeah. there about, you know, a little bit, but you know, part of it is just, you know, due to them being really good. Like I don't want to take credit away from them and the work that they put in, but an influence like Shane Steichen clearly made some sort of difference. Yeah, and you know, if he really was that big of a project, then he wouldn't have been the fourth overall pick in the draft. You know, so I'm I'm absolutely here for it. I'm not afraid of, you know, letting him sit for a few games while you know Gardner Minshew also comes over with Steichen to join the Colts. So even if it's you know four or five starts and then we throw Richardson into the fire, that's still double digit starts in a rookie season. Like I'm here for it, dude. I'm very, very, very excited about this. (laughs) I have to do this. You know who else had double-digit starts and I think one rookie of the year, their rookie year? Hmm. Baker Mayfield. There you go. <laughs> there is my token Baker Mayfield mention for the episode. All right. And we will end it there. All right, so we got Kendra Miller going to New Orleans, and he got him at the 2.4. I, th- I like that value. I don't care if it's one QB or super flex. That's about where he's going. So I, I personally like the value, and I think... I actually wrote about Miller on rotoheat.com. I really um I'm really starting to love this landing spot. I I didn't dive in super hard on Miller when it came to film study, but the landing spot is is really good from a dynasty perspective. And that's what we we focus on here on Red Zone Redemption is dynasty. This year it may be a struggle, especially if Camara somehow avoids a super long suspension. But then after that, like, Kamara's 27. I don't know what his contract looks like off the top of my head. Jamal Williams, he signed a three-year deal, but he's 28. I feel like the door after this season is kind of wide open for Kendra Miller to step in and be the lead back in New Orleans. What about you? Had him ranked pretty low in the... I think he was still like my RB10 or something. But just relative to where I thought he was developmentally, nah. But the one thing that I said is that if, like, he gets to go somewhere and hang out for a bit and, you know, learn a little bit, because, like, for, I thought he was, like, a very upright runner. That's obviously, like, it's a very dangerous thing to not, you know, have your pad level the appropriate spot, because if you're running super straight up, it's really easy for defenders to just smack you. And, you know, you're not going to, you're going to fall backwards more often than you fall forwards. But being in a place, like you said, with an Alvin Kamara who may face suspension, and even if he doesn't, I think there's a pretty convenient 
in his contract in 2024, if I remember correctly, at the very latest 2025. But like, I have to change my mind a little bit about Kendra Miller because my big knock was if he has to play right away, he might not be very good. But now he doesn't have to play right away. So, like, by virtue of that alone, yeah. I'm here for it. No, I. that's a, a great point. And I think he had, what, one really good season? It was his last season at TCU. And before that wasn't necessarily, like, a, a true standout. So I feel like there's some, there's some potential to be desired and, and some unknown with him. But I just love the lightning spot, to be honest. So, all right, 2.7, Rasheed Rice. Okay, I'm going to try and not be a pessimist on this one. But... I think the the difference is going to be the draft capital. Well, no, I think he got he got same round draft capital as Sky Moore, right? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> so I, I think you know right where I'm going with this. Last year, everyone flipped out about Sky Moore because he was going to the Chiefs. And we've seen this now for, what, two, three years where someone goes to the Chiefs and they're blown the hell up. And they don't necessarily live up to potential just because they're in that Chiefs offense. And I think it's it has nothing to do with their talent level to a, to a point. I think it is the system that the Chiefs have been running, A, relies on Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. B, other than that, they're going to spread the ball around just like Drew Brees did when he was with the Saints where Drew Brees had that one go-to target. I think, oh, who was it? Jimmy Graham? No, there's a receiver before that. Um, Marcus Colston. Thank you, yes. Yeah. Marcus Colston, where Colston was typically a borderline wide receiver one, wide receiver two, roughly. And then other than that, there wasn't anyone that you could really trust in the receiving core from a fantasy perspective. I think the Chiefs offense is kind of shaping up to be the same thing. And Rasheed Rice, don't overdraft him. That's my advice. At some point, you know, lessons just have to be learned. <laughs> like, because to your point, like, get why it's exciting for people because it's like, oh, the Chiefs wide receiver won. But the thing is, like, the wide receiver won, quote unquote, plays tight end. You already yeah. said it. It's Travis Kelsey. And also, yeah. let's not forget, they funnel a lot of targets into the backfield, too. They brought back Jarek McKinnon, which may not matter for, you know, as dynasty people. Unless you're a contending team, I think he might be a, a fun guy to go out there and throw a pick for or something. But, like, either way, the point being, like, the cool thing about how their offense works is that, like, they have a lot of guys that are talented that have a lot of speed, but they're also guys that are just dangerous enough individually the defenses have to pay attention to everybody. Yeah. So it's it's never there's never really a situation where anybody besides Kelsey is schemed up more often than not. I mean, they do have a certain package of plays for Kadarius Tony that we saw last year, et cetera, et cetera. But like it's it's never gonna be simple enough for us to figure out for fantasy purposes. And no. I think the only thing Rasheed Rice specifically has going for him is the fact that, you know, it was pointed out to me, I think I was watching NFL Network earlier, like, the fact that he's a pretty similar size and build to 
Juju Smith-Schuster. At least, so I mean, you know, that's cool. And I do think that Rasheed Rice does have better, you know, downfield capabilities than I would say for somebody like a Sky Moore, just because like he's a little taller. Like he's he's not the fast. Like, Rasheed Rice is not the fastest guy in the world, but he's pretty tall and he can get up there and he can jump and he can do some cool stuff. So like maybe he's like a wide receiver four on your team or something. Maybe wide receiver three. I mean, kind of cool, you know. But I, where where our friend went ahead and took him at the two set, I'm down for it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I want to get too excited beyond that. And some people are. Some people are, and it's it's kind of worrying me. Yeah, like that's my only like. I love where he took him at two seven. I think that's the perfect spot for him. But like last year, people were propping Sky Moore up into the late first, mm-hmm. and I was like. Hell no, I'm not touching him at that price. I think with Rasheed Rice, like there may be room even in Dynasty for a little bit of patience to where he could develop into a more fantasy relevant player, especially if, you know, Kelsey retires in a couple years. Like, I hope he doesn't because I love Travis Kelsey, but at the same time, doors open. You know? So all right, Jaden Reed, three three. Green Bay finally took a receiver. I'm going to let you continue on this one. What are your thoughts here on on Reed at the 3-3? Me and my Draft Sharks colleague, Matt Schauf, were the only two people at the site that had Jaden Reed in the then of receivers pre-draft, yes. if I remember correctly. This year, when I watched him, and especially our other colleague, Jared Smola, he did a lot of the wide receiver profiles the website and you know i can't remember if he's the one that did the one for reed but regardless like just going through and reading that and then you know seeing a few games myself i was like dude he just he reminds me so much of deontay Johnson. like maybe it's just maybe it's a little lazy i don't know but like they're almost exactly the same size they're like sneaky they're pretty like sneaky good like playing bigger than their frame and i would i was just very impressed you know like not exactly the same you know, kind of one for one, but back to last year, kind of similar thoughts that we had to Jahan Dotson, you know, like, yeah, a little smaller too, but he can go up there and can snag him. Like he can, he can do some cool stuff. And, you know, with how little the Packers have had at receiver, you know, I don't even want to talk about that. Just, but either way, just, I'll, I will spare you. I think it was, it was a great, a great value both in you know, the real NFL draft for that team and then also for anywhere team managers are drafting him. He's not yeah. going high enough. Like, this guy can ball, and the opportunity is absolutely there for him to establish at least being fourth in line for targets, maybe? At least. Maybe fifth, want to be a little conservative. But that's only to start the year. He could ascend. Yeah, well, and that's kind of where, like, we've got another draft coming up from a different person. There's a player there that I actually recorded a short on to that I'm like, if you guys go trade for this player now, eat it, but it could blow up in your favor real quick. And so I, f- I feel the same way about Reed, where there's an opening. I mean, heck, it could even could end up being third for targets if you think about it i mean christian watson aaron jones and then Jaden reed because like i love dobbs dobbs is talented but is his role truly cemented in that offense 
and does love have the connection with him like the like I think we've seen with Watts. And Aaron Jones is just a monster. Like I don't think you can really shy away from getting targets. But Jaden Reed's got a path to be third on targets in that offense, and I love getting him at three three. And we'll see what happens with those tight ends. You know, I mean, that's another weird factor of all. Yeah. But regardless, like, like you said, the best realistic path to third. There is a very, very realistic path to third. Yep. All right, last pick for at the FFB Tech is Michael Wilson at the four. I'll quickly go on this one. Personally, I'm not touching Michael Wilson really anywhere. Most of that is due to lack of study on my part. But I just, I don't know. Like, Kyler's going to miss a, a decent chunk of the season, I feel like. Or even if he doesn't, I don't think he's going to be at full Kyler level. And Hopkins is there. Moore is there. Hollywood Brown is there. Jane Connor. They've got, did they, they still have Ertz, correct? I believe but so, I think yeah. he's, he's coming off an injury. And then Trey McBride. I just don't see a really easy path for him to target. And so I'm not touching him. Value at four eight is there, but I I'm going elsewhere personally. Yeah, I mean he was hurt a lot in college and it's not a ton of production to go off of, but like when I watched the senior bowl game, I was yeah. just very impressed by how good he was. And at least based off of that, he's a fun fourth round. But yeah. the kinds of players we're picking in the fourth round, I mean, we're not really expecting a turn out of anyway. So not like I would maybe push back on it from that perspective, but in the grand scheme of things, I definitely see what you're getting at. Like the earliest we would see any possible return on that would be 2024. So, I mean, you're just, you better just burn that taxi squad spot. Just accept yep. the fact that it's going to be as long as it takes. Yep. <laughs> And not everybody can, you know, handle that type of patience, especially for, like, receive. Like, I think of the taxi squad as more, here's where I'm going to stash my tight ends. You know, like, that's... Yeah. Th those are the types of players I'm willing to stash more than, you know, like, later draft capital wide receivers. Like, if I don't see something, even a glimpse, a blip on the radar in year one, I'm probably just... Makes sense. All right, let's move on to our next draft. Nick Pentikoff on Twitter. Shout Pat Pentakoff, love that guy, good friend. He had a butt ton of picks. And <laughs> so some of them are similar to the draft that we just did, so we'll probably pass over those, maybe compare where they were taken. But we'll start from the top at 4-4, and I'm going from a sleeper roster just straight down. So 4-4, he took Will Levis. 1-1, one, one, he took B.J. Robinson. 2-2, two, two, he took Kendrick Miller. 1-4, he took Jordan Addison. 2-7, he took Jaden Reed. 2-5, he took Roshan Johnson. 2-10, he took Marvin Mims. 3-7, he took Keishon Boutte. 4-8, Puka Nakua. 4-10, Cedric Tillman. 5-3, Clayton Toon. The two players that kind of like or screaming at me like, Shane, you've got to talk about these. Arkeshawn Boutte at 3-7 and Cedric Tillman at 4-10. What, before we dive into those, what stands out to you on, on other than the ass ton of picks? First of all, shout out Nick for acquiring all of this capital. Good on you, buddy. The, the shocker 
Will Levis, 4-4. Like, dude, like, I don't know if this was a single QB or not. I assume it must be just based off of the... Because there'd be... I can't imagine that Will Levis would go that late in the Superflex. But, like, the 33rd overall pick is not terrible. I understand that the hit rate of quarterbacks that go outside of the first round is not nearly as... But there's a pretty clear path for him to play at some point next year, if not just right win the job in 2024, because Ryan Sandhill has a year left in the tank. That's about it. And it just, it's insane. I was not a big fan of Will Levis as a prospect. I thought that there were a lot of holes in his game. I thought that, you know, he did not make the greatest reads in the world. I thought that, you know, his mechanics were based around, you know, him just really leaning on the fact that he knows he has a rocket arm. But, you know, I, I didn't like him as a first round necessarily, but I expected him to be one, and I understood why. Now that he fell into the second round, I'm kind of just rooting for him. I've changed my tune. Yeah, you know what? Screw it, Will Levis. I'm a fan now. It's like I just love that value. I'm like I said, I'm assuming this is one QB if he's going that late. But even then, four four for a guy that like has the easiest path to being a starter in 2024. Dude, here for it. Also, RIP Malik Willis. Just one. Yeah, no, I agree with that R.I.P. Malik Willis. And yeah, it is one QB because no super flex on the, the draft board, but still okay. getting the fourth, maybe fifth, depending on how you feel about Hendon Hooker quarterback in the class in fourth round is incredible, if you ask me. That's incredible value. Comparing Kendra Miller, he took him at 2-2 versus 2-4, 1QB. That makes sense to me. And then he also got Jaden Reed a few picks earlier. Again, because of the 1QB, the QBs probably didn't push that value near much. But Kayshawn Butte, got to talk about him. First-round talent, in my mind. Maybe second round at best. The testing in the combine and some of the off-season chatter rumors that we've heard are why I think his draft capital fell. The really, really cool part is he landed in a really good spot for both his potential attitude problems or potential, you know, off-the-field issues because Bill Belichick ain't going to deal with that. He'll cut you in three seconds if you aren't going to. And I absolutely love this landing spot for Keishon Boutte because I think he's got a really really easy path to targets like it's incredible how easy it is so shout out to roto heat i recorded a short today saying you need to go trade for Keshawn butte right now. and i said you could get him with a late third to an early fourth bada bing bada boom three seven that's a mid to late third and i think this is one of the easiest paths to you draft him in the third round, and you could, if you don't believe in him for some reason, you can sell him for a first when he blows up because he's going to blow up it's, as the wide receiver one in New England, in my opinion. I think the talent is undeniable. It's just can he keep his head on straight? And I think he landed in the perfect spot to do so. Well, I admire your fit. I'm confident <laughs> that you have in Keshav Butte. More, more power to you. No, I mean, honestly, 
it was weird to see him test as poorly as he did. And I think just like there's like the kind of mystery around the reporting of like the injury. Because like they kept calling it just like, what was it? Foot, like an ankle or something? Ankle, please. The reason that I'm a little skeptical is just like there's no way you test that poorly athletically if it's just an ankle thing. So mind you, I'm not a doctor. First and foremost, before I go any further with what I'm about to say. not Dr. Herms? It is not Dr. Herms. So, oh, I know, you know, just I, I haven't taken a biology class in like over 10 years. But like, <laughs> some, it do be like that. I'm just speculating. Maybe there was like some sort of like Achilles rupture. Like maybe not like a tear completely or anything, but like something a little bit more serious. You know what I mean? Like because the college level is not required to report injuries the same way that the professional teams are. You know what I mean? The rules are yeah. a lot looser. So, like, that's the thing that's really getting to me. Like, how se- what I want to know exactly what the injury was, and I don't know that we're ever going to know. But right. that and the fact that I don't trust Bill Belichick's track record of drafting receivers. That's to a your fair point, point. But to your point and to your credit, this time last year, when we were going over the top receivers in this draft class, there is, a, right. there is an argument for him to be number one, at least in the top three or four. And you know what? Late enough in a draft, sure. Like that, So that's my other... That's why I think... That's why I love this pick. It's like it's the third round. You're And it's the mid to late third round. Like You're really in that point of like, go get your guy. Throw the dart at whoever the hell you're comfortable with. And with Butte's prior track record of being that highly talented at three three seven, it just makes too much sense to me to take the shot. Like I get your concerns totally, but if you're drafting him at three seven in your rookie draft, those concerns don't mean as much to me because it's a late round draft pick. And you can absorb that cost a little easier versus if it were a first or a second round. I mean, you know, the the hit rate of third and fourth round rookie picks is already pretty low, so you might as well take a chance on like a former college superstar. Right. <laughs> There's absolutely no harm in that. I think just one more thing quickly about him, like wished he obviously he tried to go back to LSU. LSU basically told him, "No, you don't." I wish he would have just gone for an extra year somewhere else. Just yeah, to, like, Francis. really see, you know, like, he, I'm a little skeptical. Like, because I think the only reason he declared was that LSU told him no. Not because he was necessarily ready. Because, like I said, his first instinct was to return to school. But he kind of got, you know, blackballed a little bit, I guess, for well, certain that's reasons. because Brian and, Kelly's a but that's another story for me. Like, more power to him. Like, I'm rooting for him. Like, I hope that it works out because it's always good to see some sort of phoenix rise from the act, per se. You know, that's it's always yeah. a good time. All right, Cedric Tillman, 410. I think that's incredible value. What about you? And, dude, like, if he hadn't gotten hurt, I mean, we were talking about Jalen Hyatt over this whole, like, pre jack process. You know exactly. what I mean? Like, Cedric, like, Cedric Tillman was good, dude. Like, yeah, he's yeah. Like, I like taking a chance on a big body receiver like that, especially the like, has a track record of production. Like sucks didn't see it last year, but he did enough before last year 
to the point where I'm yeah. absolutely here for it. And he, he's the one that landed in Cleveland, right? Correct. And, so, like, cool. You know, like, I, as much as I adore Donovan Peoples-Jones, the, the Peoples-Jones, the number one, or Jones of the people, yeah. there's a path for Tillman to kind of be that X the offense. Like, yeah. I could definitely, no, like, there, there's a role to be had there. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. As a former Browns fan, like, it's Amari Cooper, and then, like, I also love the People's Jones, but there's, I don't know how much necessarily, like, the coaching staff loves him, or Deshaun Watson loves him. Probably doesn't give him enough massages to love him, so. I think Cedric Tillman got a, a pretty easy, a relatively easy path, and getting him at 410, like, kind of like you said, like, Big body athletic receiver that we've seen produce. Sign me up at four ten. Heck yeah! Frankly, I mean, at this point, just speaking for myself, because we already know how you feel about it. I would rather Jack Silman over Butte at this point, because really? because like at least you know like the injury kept Tillman out, but was not clearly devastating. <laughs> but but at least like not clearly so detrimental to his athleticism, yeah. like. To me, like that's like the the highest of highs for Tillman's college production was not nearly what Butte's was, but at the same time, like give me the guy that is healthy, and yeah. just and like we already said, you know, without you know beating the horse into the ground, like there's 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 a pathway to a legitimate role immediately, and that's just I'm here at four ten, dude, Nick. I mean, come Great on, ra- round of applause, like that is Great that job. is fantastic, absolutely. Kick butt job. All right. Quickly, do you want to touch on Roshan Johnson at 2.5 or Marvin Mims at 2.10? You mean Rojo 2.0? Let's go, oh, baby. Yeah, I forgot. Do not besmirch the name of Rojo 2.0. We have upgraded. Ladies and gentlemen, listening to this podcast, right? if you have followed the Herms brand for long enough, you know that I, once upon a time, made a whole big deal about the fact that I loved Ronald Jones. And I just hitched myself to that wagon and I rode it directly off of a and you know what? It is what it is. I've learned my lessons. I understand that there are certain things I needed to improve upon in terms of calling out my guys running. And when it comes to a guy like Roshan Johnson, first and foremost, really convenient. First two letters of his first and last name, Rojo. So immediate upgrade there over Ronald Jones. It's just, it's right there. It's right there for you. And then fourth round capital for a running back. Like, it's not the most exciting thing in the world, but like, hey. There's enough of a track record of guys going in that round and still being good. And then B, he started playing running back his freshman year in college. He was a very well-regarded dual-threat quarterback recruit coming out of high school. Not know that. So, like, injuries to the position Texas led. It, there's a really great article about it on The Athletic that I found. It, it's linked in my prospect profile of Roshan Johnson on DraftSharks.com. Plug. You know, just talking about, you know, he went to the coach and was just like, look, like, I'm I'm here for it. I'll step up. Let's let's do this for the team. And he was really good. And even though B. John Robinson overshadowed him the entire time, like when I went through and watched Roshan on film, he has a really quick burst and he's a very good downhill runner. But the best thing about him is that he is a very good pass protector and that will get you on the field and keep you on the field. And especially in a Bears offense, you know, Luke Getze running a lot of those play actions, a lot of those RPOs, it's good for the running back to have that presence of mind to be able to sell the fakes and protect the quarterback. 
And the fact that Roshan played QB for so long, he's going to process a lot of those plays from the perspective of knowing exactly what Fields is going to do. Roshan Johnson, like I said, dual threat quarterback recruit, the same type of archetype that the guy he's going to be running with in Chicago. That is great stuff. I think it's a phenomenal landing spot, and it wouldn't shock me if, you know, like no disrespect to Deontay Foreman, like him coming back from his Achilles tear, he has been fantastic over the last couple of years. Very phenomenal player, but like, wouldn't shock me if Roshan uses some of those other cursory skills to work his way to be the RB2 running in complement with Khalil Herbert. It's going to be interesting to see how much they distribute the touches because Justin Fields also runs. Maybe it becomes like three or four headed committee. They do give Deontay Foreman some touches, but at the end of the day, do not besmirch the name of Rojo 2.0. We are rolling with it, baby. It's live. I love it. Okay. For the sake of time, we're going <laughs> to skip my my rookie draft where I had a similar conglomeration of picks to Except I have it. Oh, is that the right one? I can't even tell. I don't believe so. No, it's not. Hold on. It's a good draft for you, though, from what I could see. Definitely Thank appreciate you. Yeah, that. Yeah, I had the first four picks and then pick six, and I went Bijan, Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young, JSN, Stroud went five, and then I took Addison. No, I took Gibbs at six. Oh, shit. Oh, this. Look at this. See, folks, this is why you tune into this podcast. All right. This, is, this man knows what he's doing. Thank you, sir. Yeah, and my team name for that team prior to the draft was Productive Struggle Bus. I think I'm <laughs> going to change it to All Rookie Team. There you go. I'm just, I love a good theme. Nothing wrong with a very, very good theme. I clicked on the same Hold on, people. We are having technical difficulties because I'm a moron. Ah, don't worry about it. I can soothe their souls there, with there, the there, sound there. of a I kazoo. Okay. Oh, right, God. No, I got it. I got hold it. The, hold the kazoo for next time. There we go. Okay, so this is actually the draft that you and I were in together. And so I can actually see I'm going to click over to that tab. So you were picking out of the four slot. I was technically picking out of the five slot, but this was an orphan that I took over. And I did not have my first, second, or third round picks. I had made a trade in season to get the 1-8 and the 1-10. And then made some other trades in the draft. So my roster is after the draft. I took Hendon Hooker at the 2-12. I took Tajay Spears at the 1-8. Tank Bigsby at the 2-9. That is my guy. 1-7 at, I took Jordan Addison. 1-9, I took Quentin Johnston. And then 3-8, I took Keishon Boutte. Herms. Let's go look at your roster if I can figure out how to do this on desktop, which I probably can't. There we go. I uh -huh. did it. I'm so proud of myself. Okay. Herms took the CJ Stroud at 1-4. Zach Charbonnet at 1-12. Israel Abanaconda at 4-4. That name is so hard to say. Jonathan Mingo at 2-6. And then this man went full bully tight end <laughs> with Dalton Kincaid at 2-1, Michael Meyer at 2-4, and Darnell Washington at 4-1. All right, buddy, where do you want like where do you want to start? You want to start on your draft? You want to start on my draft? Let's start on yours since I've got it pulled up. I like I was telling you before we started recording, but this is a tight end premium week, right? And uh mm -hmm. I didn't realize I only had two tight before the 
only had fire with the no. So, like, as soon as I realized that, like, first of all, like, I knew I needed a quarterback because I think I had I got Trey Lance, Kenny Pickett, and then after that, I think it was just Mariota. Yeah. Was like horrible. Like, I had to do something. So, like, I was glad to get Stroud. That was definitely fun. Where I got Jonathan Mingo was cool, but, like, just, dude, the value that I got in a tight end premium for, like, the fact that Dalton Kincaid fell to me at 2-1 You're in welcome. a tight end premium, like, I brought <laughs> I I love it today. I've never felt better about a rookie draft pick in my life. Maybe not. Maybe it's a little bit hyperbolic. Maybe not. Actually, I don't know. Maybe that is the truth. And then like Michael Mayer, dude. Like I was not super sold on the athleticism, but fight you about Michael. Mayer, but that's different. I said but. I said but. <laughs> but. But like he's kind of like that Hunter Henry type. You know, it's just like the like he can go up there, he can snag him, and like especially now that like. Now that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be out there in Vegas tossing passes his way, I think that that's going to be super cool. That was definitely like a facet of the offense that they needed to address. So, like, man, cleaned up as far as the tight end goes. <laughs> really did. So, my comp for Michael Mayer has loosely been kind of George Kittle. He's not as much of a yak monster as Kittle, but like Kittle, he is really good at blocking. I think someone said that pass blocking was like the second lowest in the class. And I'm like, okay, whatever. He's not going to be pass blocking very often, I don't think. Um, he shouldn't yeah. be. He should be running routes. But then two, I think he can, I mean, obviously he's a good receiver of the ball. He can be the wide receiver one for this. Well, he'll be the wide receiver two behind Devontae Adams. But he can fill into that role of Darren Waller and match the production because Waller's been hurt. Like, it's not going to be that hard to fulfill that role and even exceed that role because of Waller's injuries that he's been through. So I absolutely love Michael Meyer. I've I've struggled with being a Michael Meyer truther and knowing what to do with Dalton Kincaid, but I love the value that you got at 2-1. My only concern is kind of the similar effect that we talked about with Rasheed Rice earlier. Like, is Dalton Kincaid getting propped because he's in the Bills offense and has a quarterback? If they're not telling the truth about him being the slot receiver, yeah. maybe. I'm, I'm, his whole thing is predicated around that being true. You know, like, if it does end up being this stupidly annoying him and Dawson Knox, and Knox or, or if they run I mean if they're the NFL as a whole is trending more toward running 12 personnel and having you know a couple set ends on the field at the same time anyway but like I mean that would kind of be the, the snag in it like I, I understand the perspective for sure I just I it's a lot of pundits I mean I think like Dane Brugler and you know guys like that they're at the athletic King might be just the best pure pass catcher of anybody at any position in the draft. So, like, I'm just, I'm banking on that and just taking Brandon Bean at his word because at this time last year, he was also pretty truthful about what they were going to do with James Cook. That yeah. turned out to be true. You know, like, he kind of strikes me as the type of dude that's not going to jerk people around and, you know, just, you know, the, the anti Pete Carroll. I, <laughs> you know. But yeah, I mean, the fact that he's going to play with Josh Allen is the reason he's going. Not in this one, obviously, 
but it's the reason he's going in the first in most drafts instead of the second. Because yeah. I find it I find it hard pressed to find a reason to draft tight end in the first round unless there's like a very healthy tight end premium, just as a matter of principle. Yeah. The yeah. I'm I'm shocked he went in the second in this one because I truthfully forgot that there was a tight end premium. But I also for my roster specifically, like I had in Joku Tyler Higby and somebody else. I feel like you got Jelani Woods. I mean, there's still yeah. a world where he can develop. So like, I was okay at tight end, and but I, honestly, I needed quarterback. But the chips just did not fall for me to trade up, and I blame you for that. You know, actually, there's a certain person that I will blame, but she will remain nameless. But looking at the rest of your draft, Zach Charbonnet. I don't know what to do with him. I actually had Kenneth Walker in a league, and I we're going to talk about it in the trades portion of the episode. I traded him away. I traded Ken Walker away because I was on the clock at 111, and Zach Charbonnet was sitting there staring at me, and I was like, I can't do it. I cannot pull the trigger. I actually had 111, 112, and 2-1, so I had three picks in a row. Ended up trading 111 and Ken Walker away in a kind of a blockbuster deal. And then the guy didn't even take his actual Charbonnet. So I was like, what do you do? Weird. Yeah. But I don't know what to do with Charbonnet from a fantasy perspective. Like, to me, it makes sense because the NFL is shifting towards running back by committee pretty much everywhere. But I don't know what to do with it from a fantasy perspective. So talk me through your process of taking him at 112. Well... If there is one thing that Pete Carroll does tell the truth, shout out making this the official Pete Carroll episode. He loves to run the ball. And he also, when he has the personnel, prefers to have a committee, even before the big shift. Like, that was always kind of a thing. If you go yeah. back and look at the last several years and, like, you know, how the touches were distributed historically, it gives the impression of it being, like, a one-man show, but that's also because... You know, Rashad Penny always getting hurt. You know, players like that. You know, like but when, I don't know, man. Like, think about for what we went through for years and years and years with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Yeah. Like, no, he, I'm right. It, I want to see that happen again with so many different teams, but it's never going to happen where you have two RB1s on the same team for, what, two, two three years? Like, like because Walker and Charbonnet are like very similar players from a profile standpoint, and the fact that they're just like both really good, I mean, they're gonna cap each other's ceilings. Like that's just what it's going to be. But I think they're both really efficient runners, and I think that they're both very, very good at getting things done. And neither one is particularly great at pass catching, but I wouldn't say they're bad either. You know, it's, it's just. It's it's the Spider-Man gif, you know, just Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man. And, like, you know, maybe that's annoying for people, but I felt cool about it because it's it's the best, like one of the best handcuffs, man. Yeah. Like, especially with standalone value, probably. I think at wor you know, worst, we're talking about, like, a, a flex-type guy, especially for as many people as we start in this league. And if anything happened to Walker, then Charbonnet goes up. And if anything happened to Charbonnet, then Walker goes up. Like, it's a, it sucks. I get it. 
I'm disappointed too. <laughs> but at the same time, there are a lot of running backs that didn't a lot of like not a lot of good landing spots, not a lot of good capital, but he was the only guy taken in the second round. And he did at least go to a team that likes to run. So I'm not going to overthink it, especially like I just got finished saying, considering how unfortunate the rest of the class trickled, you know? Dude, you just gave me so many different segues into my draft. Like, I don't even know where to start. We'll start with my pick at 1-8, Ty J Spears. I think, and I I, I want to go kind of quickly on, on my draft so we can get into the trades and have some time there. But, like, Ty J Spears to me feels like a similar pick to Kendra Miller, where this year you're kind of going to have to eat the cost, but he's just continued to produce and produce and produce and show up throughout this draft process to where Derrick Henry's old. Like, sorry, sorry, Robbie. I know friend friend of ours. Sorry, Derrick Henry's old now. I don't see him lasting for more than a year or two. Ty J. Spears has a very clear path fantasy relevance after 2023 and it excites them a lot of me because of how much they like to run the ball in that offense and we talked about will levis earlier like i don't i don't think they are drafting in a way that's gonna ever say hey we're gonna be a pass happy offense so ty j spears at 1-8 it was really just despite Quentin Johnston, and then I ended up trading back into that pick to get Quentin Johnston. But that's, I just think there's a path forward going in Dynasty that I, I wanted to get a share of. I don't blame at all. I mean, the only thing that made me a little nervous, like, I already know about his ACL injury history, but that report that came out from Ian Rappaport about at the Combine, they found that he had no ACL in that. Like, you can't tear it if it's not there. Yeah, and also, you know, shout out, you know, once again, you know, Herm's Pittsburgh Steelers fan, you know, Heinz Ward didn't have any in either, either knee, and I think yep. that worked out just fine, but, you know, but either way, yeah, like, year one, meh, but Henry moves on, bam, you got a really good running back in one of the run heaviest teams in football. <laughs> bam, thank you, man. All right, and that leads me to my next pick, which was Quentin Johnston. I've said all offseason that I'm not touching him with a 10-foot pole. Sorry, the value was there, and it was kind of like the pick that I had to make. I could have taken Levis, but it just felt too early to take Levis, even in Superflex. Already talked about my concerns with Charbonnet. Devin Shane went at 111. I wasn't touching that. Didn't have a need for tight end, so wasn't going Kincaid. And I liked the landing spot a little bit better than Zay Flowers. So I went Quentin Johnston at 1-9. If he hits, great. I've got one share. If he doesn't hit, I fucking told you so. Pardon my French. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm just a little disappointed you did my boy Jordan Addison like that. Just skipping over him. I'm, I'm... I took him at 170. <laughs> He's the wide receiver two in the class. Like, that was the easiest pick of my draft. Frederick, Maryland, let's go, baby. Jordan Addison, yeah. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. Oh man, hometown boy, same as Herms. Let's go. I just, I had, I had to throw. I, I feel obligated. It's okay. It's like me and Baker Mayfield. You've got. To, if anyone's from Frederick, Maryland, you, you got to shout him out. So, any additional thoughts on QJ? You some wasn't a very big fan either, but hey, if it works, it works. Look, 
That's all I needed to hear because you know ball. That's all I needed to hear. All right, cool. And then the last pick that I want to talk about, this is my guy, but it fits into what you were talking about where there were so many good landing spots for a bunch of good running backs. Nobody landed anywhere that they needed to. And this guy falls into that category. He's my favorite running back of the class. It's Tank Bigby. I took him at 2-9. He went to Jacksonville. I think this is a great move from an NFL standpoint. From a fantasy standpoint, it's going to suck. Because just like with Charbonnet and Walker, I think he potentially caps the ceiling of ETN just from a volume standpoint. And ETN is definitely going to cap his ceiling because ETN is going to be the receiving back. And I think Tank Bigsby has the talent to be a three-down back, and we're not going to see it for as long as ETN is there. But I will draft as many shares of Tank Bigsby as I possibly can, and getting him at the 2-9 in a super flex, I'm cool with that. I've seen him go as late as, I think, like 3-2 in some drafts, but 2-9, perfect spot for me to take him, and he's my guy. So... A little, you know, so I know you know this, okay. you know, just with your fandom and what you were for, but for listeners, the Auburn offensive line got Hot precipitously worse. Garbage, yeah. Like, as years went along, once again, shout out draftsharks.com if you want to check out my profile. Like, I went through, like, I looked up the football outsiders, you know, offensive line, like, line adjusted yards, like, over the course of his entire three year career, it literally got worse. Worse and worse the entire time he was there, and you know, thanks he, Gus Malzahn and Brian Harson. You can go choke on one. Yeah, dude. Like no favors were done to this kid. Like four head coaches over the course of his entire time there, and like he carried that offense. And with how bad the line was in front of him, he had to be a very creative playmaker. And I really do think, like, not that it's gonna completely diminish what Etn can do. But I think Bigsby is good enough to the point where he can churn out a little bit more on those early downs and get more volume than people think. I really think it was actually a sneaky good landing spot for him. Like, there's there's a pathway to there being, like, a flex-ish role. So let me ask you this, because someone else that I, I respect and know has put in a ton of work on this class doesn't believe in E.T. and loves Tank Bixby and thought that the Jaguars might draft a running back. Are you an ETN believer, or are you more on the side of you don't trust him as much? It's tough to say it, because after James Robinson got dealt, we had that stretch where he was super good. And then it was like the ankle injury. I think it was the game against the Ravens. He left early, didn't come back. And then after that, it was just kind of weird. So, like, maybe it was because of that, or maybe it was because of some other stuff. But, like, they wouldn't have gone day two with a running back if they didn't have at least some level of concern with it. Like, I yeah. would probably say, like, in terms of being believer versus non-believer, somewhere in between. But, like, I am no longer as excited about ETN, you know, where I was this time last year, for example. Yeah. Like, you know, because this time last year, you know, like, also wasn't very in on the concept of James Robinson coming back and being super good either. But, so, like... There's there's more tangible good competition there now, and the fact like I don't know what to make of the second half of the year for ETN. It's yeah. it's too tough to say. That's fair. I the thing is is like ETN had sixty percent of the snaps last year. 
I think Big V can easily plug in and play their, that other 40. And if there's if there's two guys that I believe in more in the NFL, I, I don't think there's I worry. It's Tank Bigsby and Travis Etienne. They could be the next Kareem Hunt and, and Nick Chubb in my if used correctly and the offense clicks, which I think they're set up to. So that we'll call that my hot take for the Jaguars offenses. I could see both Etienne and Bigsby being RB ones. It'll be tough, but I think that it's there as a ceiling. I'm here for the vibes. I'm here for those vibes. Cool, man. That wraps up our draft reviews. And now we are going to jump into the trade reviews. And holy crap, we've been going for almost an hour. So this is definitely <laughs> going to be a two-part episode. So stick around for part two, where we jump in and talk about trades. So, All right, man. That, I believe, wraps up our show. So... This is the part where I, we say goodbye, and I thank you for coming on. Again, it's been too long. I greatly appreciate any time I get with Herms. You are, I've said it for a while, Herms, and you've, you've proved it by going full-time at Draft Sharks. You are one of the smartest people when it comes to football that I know, and people should listen to you they, and follow you on Twitter. So here is your opportunity. Where can people find you on Twitter? And anything else that you would like to plug? I know you dropped a couple articles, mentions and stuff during the episode, but anything in particular? Sure. Hey, go check this out right now. I wouldn't say check out right now because now that we're... Uh, well, you can go over to DraftShark and check anything on that website because it's fantastic. But I will say we're, as, just as a whole staff, going through and updating all of our profiles and rankings and stuff just with the updated information that we have we have the draft capital now that we have the landing spots like it's a good website to visit now but especially in the coming weeks it's going to be an even better place more robust information once again sharks.com your unfair advantage very very good place and but then i just want to the stuff i got to say just specifically I don't, i'm not nearly as informative on twitter as i am in my articles so, you know, if you just want some goofiness you want some of my thoughts on breakfast foods or just like the weird things I say about football sometimes on Twitter, Herms NFL. That is where you can find me. And, you know, I just like, dude, proud me. It's been a while and it was very, very cool to catch up and talk through all this. And uh, I hope the listeners have a good time. I hope so too, man. We'll find out. So, and speaking of listeners, thank you guys for listening. Obviously, plus there's the burps again. Couldn't do this without you guys. I am going to mark this one explicit just as uh, you know, my grandfather, he listens. But we did say fuck. So <laughs> greatly appreciate anyone that listens. Like, subscribe, follow. I can't remember all the different terms now with Apple and Spotify and Google Podcasts, but we're on there. Wherever you can get your podcasts, you can find Red Zone Redemption. You can follow me on Twitter at FFShaneB. You can follow the show's Twitter account. FFRZ Redemption and also find us on rotoheat.com whenever I feel like making this an article. Shout out to Rick because this is the last plug I have. Polysplayoff.com is live for Polly's Playoff year four. So you can go there, read the story of, of why I, I do that charity tournament each year, why it started, and actually register directly on the website. Again, shout out Rick Butts. He is the one 
that created that for me because he is incredibly generous with his time and talent. And you should follow him at Roto Heat. Right? But this has been Red Zone Redemption, the show where we give you the tips to save your fantasy season.